Hello everyone and welcome to The Purpose of Movement, a show about pushing past the surface, connecting to deeper meaning with insights straight from those who know the fitness industry inside and out. And here's your host, Brooklyn-based personal trainer, Lauren Schramm. This week we're doing things a little bit differently. I am bringing you a new series within the podcast that I'm going to be calling On Purpose Conversations. Here is where I will talk to people outside the fitness and wellness industry about their take on what purpose means to them and how it affects them in their respective careers. This week, I have Tanya Harley Badihi on my podcast. She is a personal development and transformation coach, and she has a very unique perspective when it comes to purpose. Our conversation actually ran so long that I have decided to break up our discussion into two episodes. So this week is part one of two. We focused on discussing the ego, how to embrace it, how our beliefs shape our reality, and the importance of language while creating our dream life. Enjoy. (laughs) So I'm sitting here with Tanya Harley Badi. She is an amazing woman. I can't (laughs) believe I met her through her daughter, Alexis, and I met Alexis, she's a photographer, and we're going to work with her for this retreat I was putting on, and she's like, you have to meet my mom, and I was like, what? I've never heard that before. I've never heard like, oh, my mom is so great, she would love this. I was like, what? That's crazy, (laughs) and then I met her mom, and I was like, okay, yeah, Yeah, it was insane. We had the best lunch. I think we sat down for three or four hours Mm -hmm. that day, yes. It was amazing, and I'm so excited to talk to her today about purpose and how her work as a personal coach has been influenced by purpose. So what does your work entail as a personal coach, a life coach? Is it a career coach? How would you describe what you do? It's an ontological coach, so my uh, purpose is to help you discover your calling and then create a life that's aligned with your calling. So when we have a life and a career that's aligned with our calling, life is like heaven on earth. Like it's not even work. Like for me, what I do is not even work. I come alive. You know, like before I came, I was like, eh, my head, my this, my sinuses, and now I'm just like, oh. When your career and your life are, when one of the two is going well, I feel like the other one just kind of flows. Mm-hmm. So if you're like very grounded and connected in your life, your career is just easy and vice versa. Yeah. It's so. kind of like being in love. Mm. You know, when you're in love, everything's pretty easy. When yeah. you're connected to your purpose and you know that it's your calling, everything just aligns. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. So what makes a good coach how would how would a person find a coach that they want to work with that's a really good question because right now coaches are really popular yes there are a lot of schools that popped up with like come become a coach in six weeks you know and you have your little certificate and you go out and becoming a coach is takes a long time i i studied for close to 11 years I studied ontology, I studied phenomenology, I studied quantum physics, I studied, I I worked first on myself, and then it's one thing to work on ourselves. And the pitfall 
is that people will work on themselves and then they want to go fix everyone else. And <laughs> we know what that feels like, right? When someone's trying to tell us how to be and it's easy to see what somebody else should be doing. But that's not being a coach. That's a not coach. coaching. No, yeah. that's not coaching. Yeah. That's just being a bother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I realized while I was training to be a coach for others, and I coached hundreds of people, and then I got trained to do a corporate interventions and help entrepreneurs. And what I, what I saw was that I had an innate talent for seeing the magnificence in someone, in seeing past their limitations, and then allowing and creating the space for them to see it, for them to be able to recognize what's in the way, hmm. themselves. Like, if I give it to you, you're like, okay, yeah, maybe. But if you get it, it's like, oh, light bulb moment, huge. And something becomes possible that was never possible before. And a future becomes available that was never available before. And that, that you can't unsee after that. Yeah. So that's what makes a really great coach. That makes total sense. Yeah. And what state do people have to be in to be receptive to that? That's a really good question. I think that people have to have a level of awareness and honestly, it's like when we get tired of our own BS, finally, and we put, you know, we're waving the white flag and we go, okay, that nothing's working anymore. I give up something. There's got to be something out there. You know, there's more to life than this. That's when they're ready. Mm. Until then, the ego is still going to go, I'm going to do it my way. No, I got this figured out. You know, but it's when that ego's tired out and we're tired out of it that we're just like, okay, I'm ready. Um, and it's really a practice of awareness, of awareness of being able to see what is running us. The best way to put it is that a plane between Chicago and Los Angeles is 98% of the time off course. And the pilot's always redirecting, redirecting, redirecting. When we go off course, we make it mean a lot. It reinforces all of our limiting beliefs. You know, I shouldn't have started. I'm not good enough. Blah, 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 starts. And we get stopped. So there's areas in our life where we feel like we've got this. We're masters in this. And then there's other areas in our life where we feel stopped or we feel a constraint. And you better be bet that behind that constraint is a limiting belief, is a story that we created a long time ago when we were little, growing up during defining moments in our life where something happened and we made it mean something about ourselves that's limiting and about the world that's limiting and about others. So it's first about ourselves, then about others, then about the world. And then we pretty much have this filter that we're seeing life through that we don't realize we have a filter. We just think that's the way things are. And so people will say, yeah, I'm just not great at you know, singing or I'm just not great in front of people, right? But when you see kids like three years old, they're unstoppable. They're like, you know, do you wanna sing happy birthday to Andy? Yes, me, 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 me first. And then if you ask like someone in eighth grade, they're like, mm, uh, I'll pass, you know, let them sing. I'll just sit back, like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, you know, like, happy birthday, that's great, I'll just sit back here, I'm not great, I'm not great at singing, you know, because something happened, that's a limiting belief, and so that's a simple way of putting it, 
but that exists in and gets in the way of us being our full potential. So a coach comes in and we look at like, what is it that you want to accomplish? What's your dream? And then what's your constraint? Where are you feeling constraints? And then we start to go all the way back and we, you know, all of those constraints are like in the hard drive of our computer, of our brain, of our mind. And we go and we clean out the cache so that in effect, we're like that newborn that anything's possible. Wow. Now, do those thoughts ever come back? Do those limiting beliefs ever come back? They do. So it's not like they're gone forever. We're always, the, the thing about being transformed is not like life is now butterflies and rainbows. There's still gonna be upsets. There's still gonna be unfulfilled expectations. And there's still gonna, we're still gonna be making things mean stuff because that's just how we are. But being transformed means that we are able to observe that like the machinery is doing this, this survival machinery, the survival ego, oh, it's just doing its thing. It's making it mean stuff, but we're not gripped by it. Hmm. So I would love to break down every step of what you just described. Okay. So if we can start maybe with the ego, because mm -hmm. that is where the limiting beliefs are held. Is that mm -hmm. correct? Okay. What is the ego? Just so the survival ego is something that we create to protect ourselves. It's good, it's not bad, it's there to protect us. Mm. It's just on overdrive. So when we're little, we do something and dad gets mad at us. And then mom and dad get in a fight and then dad walks out the door and slams the door. We don't know where he's going, he may be going to the gym but in the two-year-old or three-year-old mind, I could be going, when I misbehave, the people I love leave. And then we become an adult that can't deal with confrontation. Hmm. And it's so deeply rooted, you know? It's like, we don't know why, but we just know that we can't deal with confrontation in relationships. We feel like there's, it's a really um, conditional love. But what it is essentially is just your ego trying to protect you from something like that happening before because it saw an event occur, it learned a lesson, mm -hmm. and it blankets that lesson on every circumstance you come across, mm -hmm. unless you heal. Unless you notice that that's what you take responsibility for the fact that you made it mean that. Okay. So in our work, we go back and we'd say, okay, now when that happened, that event happened, what did you make it mean? And you start to realize, because this lives in our blind spot, we start to realize, oh, wow, I think that that's what I made it mean. Wow. First, when I first ask people, they'll go, I don't know what I made it mean. I have no idea. And then all of a sudden it just, boom, oh my God, I made it mean that when he left that, oh my gosh, that he doesn't love me. And then all the little pieces come together and we realize, oh, just because he leaves doesn't mean that he doesn't love me. I love this idea because it proves to you that you are in control of everything. Mm -hmm. the exactly. event, it occurred and you made up some sort of meaning for it. And what's interesting is like, I have a younger sister mm -hmm. and sometimes I'll bring up events that happened when we were children 
she doesn't remember them the same way I do. We experienced the same thing and she had a different experience of it than me and she went on and had different limiting beliefs develop than I did. That's so perfect, yeah. It's amazing to hear that because it puts you in the driver's seat of your own life. Taking responsibility is hard for mm-hmm. that because then you also have to acknowledge that it is your quote unquote fault for developing these things. But is it, would you say it's it that your way? fault? Okay. You know, when we're little, that's what, that our mind has not even fully formed yet. Okay. And we can't deal with abstract thoughts or anything. It's like, you know, it's looking to see like a detective. Oh, that's what I made it mean when I was little. Mm. Because we're born meaning making machines. We're born ready to make meaning. You know, it doesn't matter what happens. Mm. We're going to make it mean something. So it's like you said, it's more of empowering ourselves going, okay, this didn't happen to me. This is something that happened. I can't control what happened, but I can control what I made it mean. Mm. And I can go back to that moment and go, okay, did that really happen? Because as human beings, we live in two domains. We live in the domain of what happened and we live in the domain of what we made it mean and we collapse the two ongoingly. So they're the same to us in our memory. In our memory, it's dad left. He got mad at me and left. I misbehaved, he left. So if we can go back and just look at the facts without the story, then we have freedom. Mm. And this is almost why it's so easy to look at someone else and say, why would you think that out of this situation? That's why trying to notice someone else's limiting beliefs is a really easy thing to do, but just telling them what's going on is not coaching. Mm-hmm. I've had this conversation recently with quite a few people where I can just see so clearly what's going on and, mm. and where their blind spots are, mm. but I'm not a coach, so I don't know how to show them. And I've experienced that telling them is a really good way to have them get mad at me because (laughs) their ego and I know it's their ego their their ego comes out of nowhere and is like excuse me no you're wrong this is the way it is yeah and I'm just like okay clearly this is not working what I'm trying to do Mm -hmm. I'd better just keep it to myself because I'm not a coach right that's not my that's not my place so Isn't it interesting how the ego is just very committed and invested in holding on to the story? We'd rather be right than happy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the point isn't to get rid of your ego. No. No. It's to embrace it. And to know that it's just something we have, just like we have a hand. But that doesn't mean that's who we are. So how do you work with the ego? Once you understand the meanings that you've made for things that happened in your life, what's the next step? Like, where oh, do you go from there? That's the most amazing part. Okay. So once we've distinguished all these things, experientially what's available is we begin to feel a surge of confidence and inspiration. And we start to feel our true calling and our purpose. And we are unstoppable. Because we know that when our ego stops us, we can just acknowledge that that's the survival machinery going and we can create and design a structure for the fulfillment of a created life 
right? So my, my calling is to be there to ignite the calling in others. I'm clear about that. My ego wants me to stay in bed and suck my thumb and not even get out the door, <laughs> you know? My first limiting belief was when I was four years old, I was so excited to go to school, I couldn't like handle it. I was living at my grandparents. My parents were in the city, they were busy running a company and they came to visit and my dad was walking behind me and I thought he was gonna come up behind me and go, wow, I'm so proud of you, look at you writing, you know? We're so excited that you're gonna come into the city next week and start school. And I thought like I was gonna get acknowledged and celebrated that I'm writing, look at me. And I was writing, not knowing how to write, right? With my left hand from right to left, just scribbling. And what my dad did is he walked behind me and he went over to my mom and he went, you better do something about her. And that went through me like a, like a hot cleaver. It was just like, I was, I, I was just stunned. Like, what do you mean? Like, what's going, like, what's wrong with me? Like there, there's something wrong with me. And although I didn't have the words in the moment to define it, the feeling was there and then later it became reaffirmed that it was something around I can't just go out and do things I need to be really cautious I can't trust my just jumping out there and doing what feels right so I need to wait and see how some or, or ask somebody else I need to watch I need to know how things are going to turn out before I jump in so I became very cautious. Here's a, it becomes a vicious cycle because the more cautious I am, the more I am underlining for myself that I'm clueless. And I began to identify with the fact that I'm clueless, that I don't know. If, if I start something, a new project or something, I'm really excited, a dream that I want to take on, I would reaffirm, oh, I'm clueless. I'm stupid. This is my identity. It's not like, oh, let me go find out. No, this is who I am. So I can't do this because I'm going to fail. So that was a huge constraint. Because the first time that you just jumped out there to try to do something, you're writing, but you're writing with your left hand. That's not the quote unquote mm -hmm. correct way to write. Mm -hmm. So you made that mean that you don't know how to do anything. Right. You take or you... You didn't even take a risk by writing with your left hand. You were just like, oh, here's a paper, here's a pen, let me pick it up. No one taught you how to do it. You just did it, but it was wrong. So now you question every single thing I do. Am I gonna do it right? What's the correct way to do it? I need to figure out how things work before I try. Sometimes we can have these memories from our past and sometimes people have bad intentions and they they are trying to hurt us but a lot of times things that are just bad timing that you it's bad timing you heard your dad what if your mom was in another room you wouldn't have heard him say that to her you know just the way things work out that can create such blocks and limiting beliefs it's it's incredible that things don't have to be so traumatic for us to have these issues. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, I didn't experience trauma in my childhood. Nothing bad really happened to me, so I'm fine. Mm -hmm. 
this is a perfect example. That wasn't traumatic. Your dad didn't like rip up the paper no. in front of you and say, no, you're terrible. It was just it was nothing. An really. idea, yeah. an idea that like came into is like insidious in the rest of your life. Yep. So when did you recognize this as a limiting belief? By the time I became an adult, I just I accomplished things and I had a really great life. I was living in the Hollywood Hills and I was married to a wonderful husband and I had two great kids, but I wasn't fulfilled. What did that feel like for you? Fulfilled? Knowing that you weren't fulfilled. Oh, knowing that I yeah. wasn't fulfilled? How did you it know? It was suffering. Okay. So no matter what I had, it was never enough. You know, and so then I thought, oh, if I get, if I look a certain way, play a certain role, or if I accumulate this kind of household you know i decorated the whole house and i and and i was teaching acting and there was something missing and it was like a hole it felt almost like i was getting depressed and then i was like how could i like i should be really happy like how many percentile of people get to live like this i should be really appreciative and society tells us that you had everything one could ever want. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, if I'd share with my mom, she'd go, come on. <laughs> my mom would say things like, but do you look pretty? <laughs> <laughs> That's really important here. Really yeah. important. You should feel good. You, <laughs> look, you pretty. look pretty. Wow. <laughs> I would read all of the, you know, Eckhart Tolle and Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson, and I'd go to her... Um, seminars and I loved it all and I'd get a little little piece of it and it feel good for a day or two but then I go back down and then I tried therapy and that wasn't it either I remember just not knowing what to do with myself you know and be feeling really stuck and going to therapy was like oh I'm so tired I don't want to. It, it, it's like putting the it, the survival ego on loudspeaker and it's like I don't want to be talking about this stuff it's like that voice in your, it's the voice in your head yeah. that's negative and you're just saying it out loud and someone's listening to you and going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then it's like, okay, it's time. And you're like, really, I need to carry all this home with me now? But there was no like distinguishing what that was so that I could get free of it. Mm. This brings up a thing that I read the other day that 97% um, of our thoughts are those limiting conversations. Wow. So the 3% of the time that we actually are, are creating thought are when we're, you know, present. And then the rest of the time when we're walking from point A to point B and, you know, that's in the background by default. Wow. It's running. It's in our sleep. I wake up in the morning sometimes and by the time I, wait, you know, open up one eye and get to the bathroom, it's like the committee's been at it. It's too late. You're not going to make it. You're going to run out of time. You don't have what it takes. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh my God. When <laughs> we actually, I love having these tools with my girls because we name that conversation and you, you have to gain a muscle to be able to recognize it, you know, because sometimes I would fall right into it and my girls would say to me, okay, mom, when are you coming back? Because I have no intention on having Dexter here for breakfast. <laughs> Dexter. You named him Dexter. Dexter. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And they would know. And they would know. How old would they start oh, doing this? They, they started when 
I mean, I started this education when I when they were like three and four, you know. Wow. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. So they grew up in it. They grew up knowing what their limiting conversations were, and and yeah. That's incredible. And being stuck in it, and sometimes when they're stuck in it, you're stuck in it, you know, and that's okay. You can indulge. It doesn't mean that you're never gonna cry or you're never gonna be upset, or but you just are able to recognize and go, okay, look, I want to be sad right now, and I'm gonna be sad. And I want to resist. I want to resist being brilliant right now. I'm going to go resist being brilliant right now. I'm going to give myself that time to resist it and just let it go. I love the point you made where it's okay to feel negative emotions. Like Mm -hmm. the work that you do with people is not so that they are above everyone else and no longer feel anything. It's that they can have an awareness of what's going on to pull themselves out of the loop mm-hmm. that the ego just plays over and over and over again and still feel human emotions. Like mm-hmm. I believe we're here so that we can like have this really visceral experience and that entails being so excited you could scream and being so sad you could just fall on the floor and cry. Mm-hmm. Like both. At some point in my life I realized they're equally as exciting because Mm -hmm. it's like a feeling is a feeling but if you get to feel something super super deeply it doesn't matter to me as much yes and no that it's sad or it's happy it's just the ability to be able to feel so deeply is just so cool to me yeah and we wouldn't feel i think you can only feel happiness to the degree that you can feel sad yes right yes i totally agree with that we need all that and there is a resistance there's something about it i don't know whether it's in our society or just in our own ego that says that it's wrong like there's something wrong to feel to feel sad or Mm. to feel angry you know like that's a fault Mm. i think there's a an idea that everyone's perfect everyone puts their most perfect self out there Mm -hmm. and when you're looking at that when that's the image that you receive of someone you think that because you don't see their low points that they don't have them and so to be able to compete in this world in this like lack mindset that most people in this world have right now you think that you have to be on all of the time which just leads to burnout which leads to doing things you don't feel like totally aligned with and then you're just lost and on top of that if you still have those limiting beliefs and your ego is going at you all day and telling you all the things that are wrong with you and why you're going to fail you're just going to lose it that's brilliant yeah that's exactly what it is and and then we see someone and we pretend that everything's good Oh my goodness. Oh my God, I'm so great. How are you? We're so afraid that if we say, ugh, it sucks today, that they're going to be like, oh, sucks for you. Sorry about that. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) It's scary. I try not to hide my feelings like that. But you have a certain level of awareness. Yes, yes. I've, I've become very aware of that. But there's some cultures, and that's an interesting thing to look at, like different cultures, because mm. some cultures bond by complaining. <laughs> Are you talking about my house growing <laughs> up? Because that culture, right? yeah. yeah. You can be good. If you're good, people are like, whoa, what's wrong with her? There's yeah. always something to talk about, and it had to be negative. Mm. And to get in on the conversation and be like, oh, did you see that woman over there? She looks ridiculous Ugh, what is she wearing like i can't believe she did this i can't believe she did that and like that was like 
to me growing up that's what adults talked about was just like criticizing people and then Mm. i remember even in high school i would hear adults criticizing the kids and i was like what the hell is going on like this is not cool whenever someone else was happy there was something wrong with them because the people talking about them were not happy Mm. and so they were like pulling them down but it wasn't working on them. It wasn't working on the happy person. The happy person didn't hear that. It didn't matter to them because they were happy. It was the people that were unhappy trying to poke holes in happiness because they couldn't find it for themselves. And that was something I was exposed to at a young age and I just knew it was so gross to me. I was like, that's wrong. I felt so it in my bones. you noticed this. Yes. How old were you when you noticed no. that? My experience growing up, I would always be around the parents because I found what they were doing and talking about way more interesting than playing with the kids. Mm -hmm. So I used to just sit there, I would say even like kindergarten, like Mm -hmm. six years old. And like, my mom was so annoyed with me. She's like, go away. Like, I want to like talk to the parents. Like, why are you here? Leave me alone kind of thing. And I would be like, oh, the parents love me because I'm so smart and they, they compliment me, whatever. But I would notice like, it was never really positive. There was never like a positive vibe or if there was, it was fake. It was like, oh, well, like we're going to do this this weekend. And then when that person would leave, everyone would kind of be like, oh, could you believe her? She's so annoying. And I just, I really internalized that. And so I think, well, I know one of my limiting beliefs growing up was that what I had to say wasn't important and like no one really cared. And like positivity was like a facade. It was never real. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I felt anything, I would just keep it to myself because I didn't want anyone to take it away from me. If you were happy and you shared it, it would be taken away. Uh, like someone would poke a hole in Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then what did you decide that you would have to be? What way of being would you have to be to survive that? Quiet or sarcastic mm. and just like negative. Like there was bonding over negativity. And so I just joined in on it and I got good at it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I connected. But it wasn't happiness. It and nor was it authentic. No. So we create this way of being yes. that like goes on top of everything to just survive. That's because what it we know that's like. what's gonna that's what's gonna work here. Mm-hmm. But it's not who we are. No. And because it's not who we really are, it doesn't evolve. It just stays like a mask. You can find Tanya on Instagram at Tanya underscore Harley underscore Badihi. She is a personal transformation coach. She helps you to access your success and fulfillment through discovering your purpose and designing a life and a career that align with your calling. She works with both individuals and groups, as well as in a corporate setting with entrepreneurs and teams. Tanya lives and works by coastally in New York and LA, but all sessions can be done remotely. And if you're interested in working with her, everything is very custom tailored to your needs. So there's no one size fits all for this. If you'd like to get in contact, the best way would be through her website at tanyaharleybadihi.com. This is all linked in her feature page on the Movement Collective, 
and through her Instagram, which can also be found on the Movement Collective Instagram. Now we'll get back to the episode. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, and I've also noticed that when anyone wears a mask, you can't really connect with them, even if you want to. There's something about when someone shows up and they're the most raw, authentic version of Mm -hmm. themselves, you automatically, whether you like them or you dislike them, feel connected to them in some way. Brene Brown, and and she studied it for, what, 10 years, is that we need connection. We're dying for connection. And we don't have that when we have a mask on. Uh, The mask thing is so annoying because it's like chicken or the egg. You create a mask because one day you showed up as your authentic self and people are like, ew, no, bye, for some reason. Or you Mm -hmm. internalize that. You made that the meaning. Or you saw somebody else get treated like that. That is also an an insane concept because it doesn't even have to happen to you for you to say, oh, that behavior, that action is not acceptable. So I can't be that way. And so you start to you start to like say no to things and you start to like shut yourself out when you when you have a genuine reaction and then you're buffering yourself from everyone else when everyone is doing this we're just kind of like in our own little plastic bubbles kind of like bumping up next to each other never really feeling anything from anyone because unless you get so tired of your bullshit, so Mm -hmm. tired of that, that you just like break out of it and lose it in Mm -hmm. whatever way. Like for me, it was like full on, like, I can't take this anymore. (laughs) Like I was a freak out. Yeah, you didn't have any tolerance for it. No more. And then I started learning that like who I actually was, was okay to be. Yeah. And it was a really, really long, hard lesson to learn. But now I find it so much more simple to connect with literally anyone like you can walk around in new york city and just say hi to someone it's mind-blowing you're like instantly connected to them and you feel like you're a part of something because i know you like to say this we are all one Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you're just tapping into another form of yourself Mm -hmm. and when you remember that you you remember that not everyone's out to get you no one has the intention of being bad to you because you all want the same things it really like levels the playing field to understand that and when you do the work to heal yourself in a way that you can show up authentically everyone is just better off and able to truly deeply connect and be fulfilled and step into whatever their purpose their passion is right you know when i'm hearing you talk about this like that i I'm, I'm present to world peace. Ultimately, this work is about world peace. You know, it <laughs> yeah, really is. It is. And do you find that when you approach someone authentically like that, that their mask comes down? Absolutely. I did it today. I was walking on the water. I was like, I'm having a fucking great day. I woke up at 8.30 in the morning. I got a coffee. I'm going to go sit and write. And I was just like, I could just breeze by them and have this like resting face on that's just like whatever I'm just walking (laughs) like it took work I have to tell you because people aren't used to it Mm -hmm. so I had to like do a little bit of an elongated stare at both of these (laughs) men and and to say and to actively go good morning have a good day because that's what I felt I wanted to be like hey I see you hey you're real like I, I'm here, you're here, this is happening. Mm. And you don't really get a chance to do that here because there's so many people and so many people are 
wrapped up in their own like loop in their head and yeah. and you have enough experiences where you're shut down that you're like, oh, I don't want to connect with anyone. But I try, when I feel in the mood, I'll talk to anyone. If you just like say something that's happening, oh my God, this line is so long. Like people will just relax. Like they'll, their posture will change and they'll be like, oh, oh, I forgot I was even here. Like I forgot that there are other humans here that can connect with me and make me feel like mm-hmm. a real person. And there's some fucking meaning in this whole thing, you know? It's beautiful. I try to do that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, one of my limiting beliefs also is that I am apart from others. So for me, it really, because my, my English was my last language. What what other languages? So I had Russian with my grandparents. And I really grew up like in a Petri dish there. Like there was no socialization. It was all like, you know, them retired out in a very beautiful little town on Long Island, but there was no other little kids that I played with. And then was brought into uh, kindergarten, in the middle of kindergarten. In the middle of the school year? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I was so scared and I hadn't had any socialization and I begged my mom to stay outside the door and wave her glove inside every few minutes so I knew she was there. And I remember all the kids were sitting story time around the teacher on the floor, but they put me at a table to watch. Then it's nap time and they all have blue mats and I have a blue mat with a big yellow giraffe on it. So and you're different. <laughs> you're different so again. I'm yeah. different. So I made it mean I'm different. It's them over there and me over here. And they're all connected and I'm not. So I just kept getting that reaffirmed. So I went, later I went to high school. I went to the French Lycée. They were all uh, United Nations kids and people that, you know, were there for a few months would leave. Again, I was not like part of a tribe. And then I went to an all-girls American white glove school. And they were all here during the weekend and socializing. And I went out to that little town where there was nobody. So on Monday mornings, they would all be talking about all the cool stuff they did. And I almost was like about to create stories just to like have a story to tell. A mask (laughs) to participate. (laughs) A mask. I created in order to survive that, I'm different. Mm. I'm gonna be the different one. So when I was out in the little town, I was the French girl because I went to French lycée and I spoke French, that was my second language. So, oh, she's the French girl. Oh, she's so exotic, you know? But I was never able to really connect. I never felt like I was a part of them. But you you were a French girl when you were at home in Long Island, but when you were with the French girls, you weren't one of them. Uh, But I wasn't one of them either. No, you were never really part of anything. Wow. I'm curious what you think of this concept. I've heard this recently that when you believe something, your ego believes something, it will do everything it can to prove it to be true. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So when you told yourself a long time ago, I'm different, I'm different, even if people were trying to include you, you would find a way, not you purposefully, but your ego would find a way to prove, no, 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 that's not real. What's real is what we believe. I can't even tell you how much what's real is what we believe. That's why, like, I had the story that it's really hard to live in New York. New York's going to be hard to live in. But if I say it's easy and it's perfect, 
it's going to show up easy and perfect. We're so complicated, but we're not. You can dig through and figure out how everything works, which is why it's so important that you have all this education, this mm -hmm. quantum physics, because we are so complicated. But once you get to a point where you understand the concepts, you can apply them differently. So it is, it's about like the language you tell yourself. Language is so important. Oh, this has just been coming up for me recently in my life. And, and I have been insisting that instead of people saying, oh, you always do this. Oh, you're like that. I'm saying, no, no, no. Say, I did that. Mm -hmm. I used to do that. I was like that. Oh my God, it's so important. In this moment, I'm not doing those yes. things. I'm not like that. And I don't want to like cast a spell on myself to, to tell my ego, essentially, that that's the way it is. Because yeah. I don't want it to be that way. So yeah. I'm fixing it. But I'm also requiring everyone in my life to accept the person I'm showing up as in this moment and not put their memories of me onto me so that I can change and evolve. Yeah, so you can be like under new management. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I want to get that printed on a shirt. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, yeah. And it's really training people because in the listening, we can only show up as in the listening of people. If so, they, you know okay. how some people you can, you feel like anything you say is brilliant and with others, you just feel like a fool. Like anything you say just, just comes out like all tongue-tied. It's how they listen to us. It's their reaction? No, it's the space actually that we create. The space they give when you're speaking? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that, that makes so much sense because you'll have conversations with people and they'll be talking about something you said two minutes ago because they didn't listen to anything you just said because they had something to say two minutes ago. And so they just wanted to jump in and get their point across. And so you don't feel heard. What's oh the point of gosh. having those conversations? Yeah, that brings up a really interesting point that I have my clients do is we look at what are you listening for? Mm, okay, how does that work? So we look at if we're listening for something, we're not really present. And we're all by default listening for something. So some people listen for a, how can I contribute? So as you're speaking unconsciously, they're thinking, okay, when's, how can I fix what she said? Where's a problem? Where's a problem that she's going to say that I can come up with a solution? Mm. Is it because their value is in fixing problems? Yeah. Okay. They, they're listening through a filter if that's how they think they're important. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Or some people would be like, how can I make her laugh? Because they've decided that that's how they are. That's how they can be accepted and loved is by making people laugh. Oh, that's so frustrating because they're trying to connect in the way that they think they can connect. But the best way to do it is just to be super neutral and to be super present and in a clean, empty slate, ready for whatever the other person's bringing, because mm -hmm. it's all just energy. But if, if you're blocking the flow of energy from someone else with a predetermined attitude, predetermined answer, predetermined approach, you're never going to allow their energy to flow back into you, and then vice versa. Ugh. Yeah, the intention right. is we want to connect, but we're and we want to be loved. Yeah, everybody wants to be loved. Bottom line, it's such an important lesson that I didn't learn until recently, and it's hard to remember sometimes when you're out in the world and things are happening. Sometimes they feel like 
personal, I had this belief, had this Mm -hmm. belief that everyone was out to get me and I had to be on guard and anyone that was like trying to be my friend wasn't really my friend and I always had to watch out. And it was something my mom said a million years ago and it was probably unrelated, but that's what I made it mean. Mm -hmm. And so I never trusted anyone and I would never let them in. All I'm looking for is connection and love and to know that that's what every other person is looking for too blew my mind but if i'm able to get out of my my cycle my loop of that belief that like no one wants what's best for me like they want me to fail and just remember that no everyone just wants to be loved themselves it's so much more easy to connect with someone else and how did you shift that It was a long process. People in my life. I think it was it was it was the awareness of it first. I spent a very long time in my life being super aware without making change. Mm. So I was like, I'm this way because of XYZ. This is how it is. And like I, I was like so proud of myself to have the explanation. And therapy got me there. Mm-hmm. But then I didn't I was have, gonna say that's yeah. usually what therapy does. And it was good so I was finally like this is the reason why I'm this way Mm -hmm. but then I was still that way there was no change in behavior someone would be like oh cool like that's why you did that it's still fucked up like you still did a messed up thing you're still in a trap exactly I was still difficult I was still like the same it it didn't matter right oh I was still cautious about people you were still feeling like you were still on the on the mountain with the sword it was in my nervous system still and I told you about this the ironically the day we went to lunch I had just an EMDR for the first time yes finally I got that feeling out of my nervous system Mm -hmm. but the only reason I was able to do that therapy the awareness of my problems and my issues led me to be able to fix them but they lived in my body so just knowing is not enough you have to do something about it yes and I think a way to do it is by telling people in your life telling the important people in your life this is my issue this is what I'm working on when this comes up in a real life situation, let's hit pause together. Let's talk through what's actually happening because I need to know that my loop isn't reality. It's not the truth of the Mm -hmm, situation. mm -hmm. And I need reinforcement, like serious, like hold my hand reinforcement. It's like I walked outside and it was like, the sky's orange, the sky's orange, the sky's orange. And I'm looking at a blue sky and the person next to me is like, Lauren, the sky's blue. I'm like, no, 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 it's orange. Are you sure it's blue? I don't think it's blue. (laughs) And they just sit there and they say it with me and I trust them and I care about them. And they, I know that they care about me and they have good intention of kind of opening my perspective to maybe the sky is blue. So maybe like one of the things that happens is in trust, right? Mm. So for instance, if something comes up where you are feeling distrustful of a situation, we get triggered when there's a lot at stake. Like it couldn't possibly be true that this person wants to give all this to me, right? If it's like something that's like amazing, right? Then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but wait a second. Then you are open to people around you that you trust to say, when I go there, snap your fingers that I wake up, mm. right? Yeah. That I, that I see that that's something I'm making up. Yes. And also while you were saying that, I remembered that, what I was doing was actually just being vulnerable. 
mm. by saying, yeah. this is what I feel in the moment. Because I don't want to tell people about the things that I'm thinking in my head because I know they're not true. I know it's not reality, but that's the way it feels to me. And it feels silly to be like, I don't trust anyone. That's a ridiculous thing. Mm -hmm. People are trustworthy. I should trust yeah. people. But to have the ability to be vulnerable with certain people to test that out and have them show you it's okay mm -hmm. over and over and over again until you write a new lesson, you make a new idea about how it works. And then you go out and things are different and you can act differently. Episodes go live every Tuesday. Follow along on Instagram at themvmt.collective.